Well, we want to uh, continue with Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem this morning. And so, um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. Message I want to share with you this morning is entitled Questions and Answers That Lead to Life. Questions and Answers That Lead to Life. You know, oftentimes um, when we are asking questions, we are looking for an answer. Sometimes what we need to know is not necessarily what we're asking for. Sometimes we're asking a question and, and the truth that we need to hear is not necessarily the, the direct or obvious answer to the question we're asking. And oftentimes we find Jesus in his teaching answering questions with another question. I, I thought about that and I thought about my, uh, my two and a half year old grandson. And uh, you've seen him running around here some a little bit and so forth. And he is at that stage that it doesn't matter what you ask, he always answers with a question. And you can say, hey, Kai, uh, will you help me pick up the toys? And his answer is, why? Right, exactly. Right? I say, hey, Kai, will you eat your dinner? Why? Always with another question. The question is, why do you want me to do that? Why is that important? Why, why do I need to do that? As Jesus continues on his journey, there are four encounters that he has that, that he has asked a question and he responds to those questions, some of them with a question, some of them with an answer that, that isn't directly responding to the question they're asking, but it's the answer or the information or teaching that they need to hear. And so this morning, there are some things that I want us to look at and to learn and, and to see from these questions and these answers that can help us in living our lives as Christians. Now, some of these questions were not asked from a pure heart. Some of these questions were asked with an intention to, to trap Jesus or to embarrass Jesus or to make Jesus look bad. Some of them are sincere, genuine, from a good heart questions. But in all of them, Jesus is teaching, and he's teaching them what they need to know as he gives them his answer. As we look at that, and we hear these questions and Jesus' responses, we learn more about Jesus, we learn more about the people he is encountering and interacting with, and we learn more about how we can live life today as a Christian. So Luke chapter 13, let's go ahead and dig right in and uh, see what we can find there for us today. Chapter 13, the very first verse says, Now, on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans, okay, so you get it, here's the question. And here's the answer. Here, here's the question. Here's the response. Now, this first question is interesting. It's a question that is what I would consider a political question. Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor, and he was basically the enemy 
of the Jewish people. He was the enemy of the Jewish people because he had absolutely no regard or, or, or no sensitivity to their religious convictions. He didn't care what they believed. He didn't care what they thought. That did not matter to him in the least. In fact, we find time and time again that he actually intentionally does things to try to, to irritate, to agitate, or to get at the Jewish people. So on occasion we find that he brings into Jerusalem, their holy city, the ensigns of the Roman Empire. And what that means is there are, are banners, there are flags, there are statues, there are signs. There are things that, that have on them uh, the, uh, the emblem of the Roman Empire and the picture of their emperor. And, uh, and so all of these things are meant to get at the Jews because they know that the Jewish people have no other God before their God. But yet their emperor is God to them. And so he, he brings them in. So there are riots. There's conflict. There are things that are going on. We know when they talk about this blood that is being shed, that there was an occasion in, in which these riots were taking place. The people were uprising against what was happening by the Roman Empire to them. And so, so Pilate sends in some soldiers and they're dressed in what you would call undercover. They're just dressed in normal clothing. They're, they're not in their, their Roman soldier attire and, and they're not carrying their swords and spears and all that. In fact, the, their weapons were, were hidden weapons and they were concealed. And then in the midst of the riot, in the midst of the things that are going on, they pull out their weapons and they begin to kill the Jewish people. And this incites more anger and hatred toward Pilate and the things that are going on. And so they're asking a political question. And the political question is, what, what do we do about this Pilate and, and the way that he attacks us as Jewish people who are God's children? Now, Jesus is, is put what we would refer to today between a rock and a hard place. Okay, Because if he ignores the question, then it appears that he is sympathetic to the Roman Empire and to Pilate and is uh, betraying his people and his followers. If he speaks out against Pilate, we know that he's headed to Jerusalem and surely the idea that he spoke out against Pilate is going to get there before he does. And he's going to be in trouble with the Roman Empire and it puts him exactly where the Jewish leaders want him to be. Because then they have a, a real reason for him to be arrested because he has spoken out against Pilate. And so Jesus is here and he's asked this political question and he stands before this group of people and, and he ponders how to respond. I can't ignore. I can't, you know, denounce. And, and so he's caught in the middle of that. And so Jesus in his wisdom turns to, to this idea. He turns to the idea... In relationship to these people and their sin. Notice what he says as we continue in the answer to this question over the next several verses. And he says, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this, uh, this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse uh, culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And he began telling them a parable. A certain man 
had a fig tree which had been planted in his vineyard and had come up looking for fruit on it, and he did not find any. And he said to the vineyard keeper, Behold, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And the answer, he answered and said to him, Let it alone, sir, for this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilize, and if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. Okay? So, so Jesus is speaking to them, and he first answers the question, and this is what he says. He says, you're talking about these people and their fate, and, and you're against Pilate and what he's done and all these things. He says, but let's really talk about you. Let's talk, let's talk about them and their sin. Do you suppose that their sin was greater? Let's not talk about Pilate and what he's done. Let's talk about you. He says, if you don't change your ways, if you don't repent and turn to the Father, he said, you're going to die. And when you die, you're going to die without him. You're going to die in your sins if you don't address this, if you don't do it. So he doesn't answer the question directly. He answers what they really need to know. And what they really need to know is what's going on with your life. Where are you at spiritually? What's going on with you? And so as he begins to answer their question this way, he begins to communicate them. It's really not so important about their sins or their dying and how that happened and why it happened. It's not about whether God caused this or let this happen. It's not about any of those things. He says really what we're focused on here is what about your sin? Where are you in your relationship to the Father? Where are you in relationship to where you should be in regards to your sin and the forgiveness of that sin? And so as he answers that question, he also turns then and begins to, to tell this parable. And the, ter- the parable is a communication about God's expectation for them. You hear what he said? He said the fig tree. The fig tree needs to bear fruit. And if the fig tree doesn't bear fruit, fruit is going to be cut down. And he says... If you're not living for the Lord, if you haven't been forgiven of your sin and you're not bearing fruit, you're going to be cut down and cast out. But then he talks about the grace of God and the mercy of God. And the vine dresser says what? Lord, be patient. Don't don't cut it down yet. Give it a little more time. Let it mature a little bit. Let there be something else done in its life, so some fertilization and some care, and then see if it bears fruit. And he's talking about God's patience with us. And God is patient with us over and over and over and over again. And he says, you've heard the message. You've been invited to receive forgiveness and grace and mercy to be forgiven of your sins, and yet we choose to still live in our sin. Yet we choose to still disobey Him. Yet we choose to focus on others and their sin and their problems and their difficulties. And He says, God continues to be patient. But understand, at some point, all of us will face His judgment. All of us will be cut down and cast out. Or all of us, each of us, as we receive His mercy and grace, will be allowed to be a part of the kingdom. But he says the choice is yours. You have to choose yourself which path you will take. So then he moves on. The scripture continues. And I want you to look at the next question that he's asked. 
And so we look at the next question, picking up in the following verse there in verse 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by the Spirit. Okay? Now understand this. This is a spiritual issue that we're talking about. Not physical. There, there's an issue caused by the Spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. Now notice what happens. The synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the multitude, I think that's interesting, he knew better than to attack Jesus. And so when this event had happened and he was so indignant and he was so enraged, he began to attack the audience. He began to attack the multitude. He didn't dare attack Jesus. He, he, he didn't go after him in the midst of these people who had just seen a miracle. No. Who's he going to go after? Well, let's go after the people. And he says, listen, there are six days that you can come and be healed. Why would you come to be healed on the Sabbath day? So here's the issue. It's a... a theological question we had had a political question now we have a theological question and the theological question has to do with the sabbath and and obedience to tradition and the ideas of man and and so so he begins to attack the people now i think it's interesting if you look at the attack because this is what he's saying there are six days that you can come here to be healed here's the question who's going to heal them he doesn't have the power to do that. He doesn't have the ability to, to heal this woman or else what? He should have already done it. He should have already taken care of this. She's been like this for 18 years. And here she is and he's saying to them, hey, there's six days. Come here to be healed on those six days. Jesus isn't there those six days. That healing power is not present in him. So who, who's he talking about? What's he talking about? Come on these six days to be healed. Here's the other thing I find interesting. Here's a woman who has been controlled by the Spirit. We, we believe possibly, not, not doesn't say 100%, but controlled by the Spirit that the, the, the devil, Satan, is at work. There's a spirit that's at work. And she has been in a physical condition for 18 years. And yet the indication is here that she has continued to come faithfully to the temple in order to worship her God. Think about the commitment. Think about the faith and the faithfulness that she was bent double. She could not straighten up. And she had been like this for 18 years, and yet she continued to come faithfully to worship God and to put Him first in her life. What kind of incredible faith that must have been. What kind of commitment and determination when someone was, was so physically disfigured and, and bound up and yet to continue to come. It, it wasn't that she had a little cold and she stayed home. It wasn't that she had a tummy ache and didn't feel well that she stayed home. It wasn't that she had a hangnail and couldn't make it to church today. Eighteen. Bent double, 
unable to straighten up, and yet she continued to come faithfully to worship her Lord. Oh, how we need that kind of faith, that kind of commitment, that kind of determination. And so, so the, the religious leaders at the temple, the, the temple Lord who was in charge that day, begins to attack the people. Six days you can come and be healed. Why would we do this on the Sabbath? And so Jesus responds. And Jesus says, listen, do not even you religious leaders, if your animal is thirsty, on the Sabbath go in and untie them and lead them to water so that they can have a drink? How much more does God care about His children? How much more does God care about His people? On the Sabbath day, you say it's okay because your animal's thirsty to give them a drink of water. But this woman who needed healing, who had been this way for 18 years, you don't think we should do that? You don't think we should take care of her? You don't think that we should minister to her needs and and help her in her hour of need and make a difference in her life if you can? And everything Jesus talked about in relationship to this had to do with bondage and freedom. Bondage and freedom over and over and over again. Listen to the words as we read down through there. And he said to her, woman, you are freed, bondage and freedom, from your sickness. We drop down to verse verse 15 where Jesus picks up. The Lord answered and he said, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie, untie freedom? Bondage, freedom, untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water. And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is uh, whom Satan has bound, bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released freedom from the bond on the Sabbath day? And he said this, and as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated And the entire multitude was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Over and over, he talked about bondage and freedom. Illustrations, images for us to see bondage and freedom. The animal's tied. We loose it to take it. We set it free to take it to a drink of water. That she's been in bondage by Satan for 18 years and we set her free from that. Over and over again, he talks about the Sabbath and he talks about God's healing and God's power and God's presence and what God can do in our lives. And it doesn't matter when, as long as we yield our hearts and allow him to do what he intends to do. Third question we see this morning. Interesting, and, uh, and as we move on, it's a question about salvation. Let, let's look and, uh, and go to, to that place and uh, continue and pick up there in verse 22 and read what it says there. Or, I'm sorry, pick it up in verse 18. Therefore, he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? And what shall I compare it? It, it is like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden and, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now, picking up, he says, And he said, To, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of meal, and it was all leavened. And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and proceeding on his way 
to Jerusalem. Here he is, still on the journey to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Are are, are there just a few who are being saved? How many people are are going to experience salvation? This this was a debate the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had on a regular basis. And they continually talked about how many could be saved and how many wouldn't be saved and all of these types of things. And and so the people, seeing and perceiving the the dynamic of Jesus and his understanding and his teaching, and the Scripture says he taught as one with authority like they'd never heard before. And so they asked him the question, listen, these religious leaders debate this all the time, so we want to ask you, how many people are being saved? Are there a lot of people receiving salvation, or are there just a few people receiving salvation? And so let's look at Jesus' response. And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter by the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Once the head of the household gets up and shuts the door... And you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. And then he will answer and say to you, I do not know where you are from. And then you will begin to say, "Uh, we uh, we ate and drank in your presence. And you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth there when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but yourselves being cast out. And they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Jesus says, listen. In regards to salvation, again, let's not worry about who or how many. Let's worry about where we are. And he said, lest you be that person when the, and he gives the illustration so they'll understand, a feast that is taking place. And and the Lord comes and shuts the door, the Lord of the manor, and, and now you're left outside of the feast. Why? Because you didn't respond to the invitation. And the correlation that he's making is, as he talks about the prophets and those who have come before, he's making the correlation that they've come and they've given you the message and they've told you over and over and you've been invited again and again and again. And he said, you've rejected the invitation for salvation in your life. And he says, the day is going to come, the door is going to shut, and because you did not respond to the invitation, you're going to be left outside. And when you are left outside, he said, you're going to beg to come in and the Lord of the manor is going to say, I don't know who you are. Don't know where you come from. Don't don't, don't know anything about you. And notice the description that he gives us. It's a place where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. He says there's going to be a place of great pain and sorrow and suffering if we do not respond to the invitation that God has given us to come to salvation to come to a saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brings us to the final question, and that is this. It's a personal question about danger. 
Listen to what is happening here as Jesus is standing and teaching boldly, proclaiming a message that stands against the traditions of the the religious leaders of his day. And notice what he says beginning in verse 31. Just at that time, some Pharisees came up saying to him, Go away and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day. I reach my goal. Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet should uh, perish outside of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who, sent, or who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together just as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not have it. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. And I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They said, hey, listen, you need to get out of here because you're in danger. And you know what Jesus' response was? I'm not in danger. You're in danger. Not only are you in danger, Herod's in danger. Because he knew that he was under the the lordship of the Father. And that everything that was happening in his life was by the Father's timing. By the Father's design. By the Father's plan. And, And so he states that. He said, a prophet can't perish outside of Jerusalem. I'm not to Jerusalem yet. I'm not worried. I'm not afraid. I'm not concerned. Why? Because I know the Father has a plan. And I know the Father's plan will be seen through and it will be accomplished. And and so they ask him, hey, hey, why don't you leave? Why don't you go somewhere else? Well, what were they trying to do? They were trying to head him toward trouble. They were trying to get him out of a place where he was okay and get him to a place where he would be in trouble. Why? Because he couldn't be reached where he was by Herod. But if he moved out of that place, Herod had jurisdiction and he could reach him. They were lying and they were scheming and they were doing everything they could to get Jesus in a trap. And Jesus knew exactly what was going on. And Jesus said, hey, listen, I'm not worried. It's okay. It's by design of the Father. And we have to choose whether we're willing to follow the Father or not. And so today we see four questions, four answers. And they all point to the same thing. The choice is ours. We can choose to accept the invitation. We can choose to to accept what the Father offers to us. Or we can choose to decline it. We can choose to follow in obedience and faithfulness. Or we can choose to turn away. The choice was up to them. And the choice is up to you and I. And so this morning we're going to offer an invitation to him. And the invitation is about our making a choice in our life. A choice of of accepting or not accepting Jesus' salvation, a a choice of following His direction and His commands or not following His direction and His commands. You and I choose for ourselves the direction that we will go. It's not about others. It's not about their life or their loss or where they are. It's about where we are in relationship to the Father. If there's a choice that you need to make today, won't you come as we stand and we sing?